listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We are back. We are back, finally, with Season 2 of the Spook Squad Podcast. God, it feels so good to be doing this again. For those of you joining us for the first time, my name is Dan. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Allie is the other host. She joins us when she can. And uh, this is a podcast about horror, obviously. I mean, it's a horror movie podcast. It's about horror movies and all things horror from the community of folks who love it, uh, spooky and intense things in our own world. And, you know, I kind of like to think of it as... The way that Shudder describes it, the streaming service Shudder, they kind of describe it as they're into thrilling and intense and challenging, dangerous cinema, and uh, that's kind of what we talk about here on the podcast. But the thing is, uh, from the very beginning, the idea behind this podcast and what inspired the name, basically inspired the idea at all, was the idea of togetherness, of community, of being together. I mean, like, not to be too on the nose here, but like, spook squad, like, you know what I mean? Like, together. (laughs) It's a group. And... It's a collective. It's a gathering. And it's about sharing the thing that we love together, as well as being in each other's company. And and I talked about this a little bit on the last episode that we did, the kind of, I guess, the season finale of the last kind of time we did this. It was a short little spook squad Halloween episode. And I talked about community, the horror community in particular. I talked about how I was always wanting to be in that community in horror. I said it was important to me. So Bearing that in mind, I know that some of you must be looking at the title for this week's episode, and you must be thinking to yourself, is this guy seriously making the first episode of the second season of this horror podcast? He just said it was a horror podcast. Is this episode seriously not going to be about horror? Well, stick around, because as you get to know me, and for those of you who know me already, you will come to find out that I always find a way to bring everything back to horror in one way or another. And this subject certainly involves horror, and many of the things that inform it in significant ways. So... I know that you might be used to opening up your podcast feed and looking at the horror podcast that you follow and seeing the title of a movie there and you're just like, ah, yes, movie, I know it. But I can tell you, this is not going to be like that. But if you stick with us, you are going to find that it's because we're going to talk about a lot of movies at once. We're going to talk about the genre. We're going to talk about what makes it special. And we have a lot to say about all of that. We just kind of have a slightly different way of getting there. So... Let's just dive right in because, yeah, we are talking about watching movies together and why I think that's important. And by the way, don't let the title intimidate you because I'm not trying to, like, argue with you or anything like that. Because believe me, I understand that for a lot of folks, watching movies solo by yourself, it's your recovery time, right? It's it's their recharge time. It's their self-care. It's deeply personal. And maybe it's how you unwind at the end of a long work day because, I, you know, I do that too. And you want to do it pantsless and perhaps you want to order an entire pizza with the intention of eating the entire thing by yourself and then you get most of the way through and then you don't feel very good and you have to pause the movie for a sec and get some ginger ale and then you're really glad that you can lay down when you unpause it not speaking from personal experience or anything like that but that's completely okay if that's what you're into sometimes and hey I also know that it's hard for some of us to make time to get together with folks and sometimes it's even just hard to find folks who are into what we're into because, you know, I, I struggle with that too. And that's not exactly what this episode's about. That's that's what Spook Squad is about. That's what the Drive-In Mutant community is about and many, many others. It's about coming together. And, and I say all of this despite the title. I'm not exactly saying that you're doing something wrong if you watch movies by yourself. I guess that's my point. But I'm going to tell you why I feel so strongly about making the time to do this with other people in my own life. And some of it is based on my feelings, but a lot of it is based on research as well that I did and how our brains work. So 
I hope you'll stick with me as we start uh, diving into this right here, because I think a pretty good place to start is with uh, a bit of horror royalty. And when I bring that up, I'm talking about Joe Bob Briggs. That's who I'm talking about. Uh, I mentioned before the drive-in mutant community. That's the name for the uh, community of folks who come together and just are fans of Joe Bob's and fans of what he does, what he talks about. And uh, and when he streams on Shudder, which he does uh, periodically for a special watching event, uh, live tweeting and just participating, it's all part of this communal watching experience that Joe Bob has always been at the front of. He's one of those famous horror hosts, like Elvira, who hosted those shows on TV. For him, it was Monster Vision, uh, playing movies, stopping them in between, commenting, telling you about them. Uh, Some people had campy bits, but Joe Bob, he was always about talking about the movie getting into it. He was an angry Texan who loved drive-ins and just felt passionately about exploitation cinema. And during one of these events, the Dinners of Death, it was uh, during Thanksgiving, I want to say not last year, two years ago. Uh, it was streaming on Shutter. It was a big event. We watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Dead or Alive 2, the Takashi Miike film and Blood Rage, which was uh, Thanksgiving horror, pretty ridiculous. And, uh, Joe Bob closed out the night with a, a really awesome speech before that last Thanksgiving movie, Blood Rage. That, that kind of ties into what I'm talking about here today. And, and this is what he said. I wrote down a little bit of it. He said, have you ever watched a movie on your tablet, your laptop, your phone, and as the closing credits roll, you feel a profound sense of loneliness? Because there's a sense that when it ends, someone was supposed to be there with you. The experience was supposed to be communal. So what do you do? You go and bother your friends. You say, I just saw the most amazing movie. And that adrenaline rush at the third act climax, it's mixed with, why was I alone when I saw that? You're trying to build an audience, but it's too late. You're doing it post-mortem. After the fact, you're trying to develop a group of sympathetic listeners who should have been there with you. Now, I start with this example, not just because it's it's Joe Bob, and he's basically horror royalty at this point, and kind of like I said, and I wanted to show you all that, yes, this is about horror, and Joe Bob seems to believe that same thing that I'm trying to argue for here, and yeah, he does it in his verbose and example-heavy kind of way, but what it speaks to is something that I think is, is true, that a lot of us have experienced, and that's the reason why the live streams, why these events are are such a big deal, why it really brings the community together. Because as Joe Bob tells it, it is a community that is moving from obsession over content to a hunger for shared experience. And I believe I believe that's true because he talks about, you know, why are there so many horror bloggers? You know, it's, it's because in his theory, they grew up as misfits, sneaking around so their parents wouldn't know what they were watching, feeling bad for watching something that seemed taboo, and they missed that communal experience. And now we are just dying to talk about it, all of us. And... I'm starting here because I think that this is a really easy thing to relate to for a lot of us because I feel like so many of us have had that experience of just sitting alone in our room, you know, in front of the laptop, front of the TV, whatever. You watch something that you just didn't expect it to be that good because the age that we're living in, too, you're just browsing Netflix, you're browsing Amazon or just whatever. You pick something that has been on your list. Oh, I heard this was good. And guess what? It blew your freaking mind, especially, again, like you said, that third act twist, whatever it is. It, you just got kicked in kicked in the gut by this movie. It just absolutely hit you. But now what? I mean, the example that I think of, you know, and this is just kind of culturally uh, something that I think we can understand, is The Sixth Sense. You know, so many people after that movie came out, that ending, that twist, whatever it was, I can still remember that being such a huge topic of conversation, you know, around when it came out, when it was in theaters. And 
that was a communal theater experience back then. Now, I think, and again, I'm not getting in old man kind of mode right now, but, you know, content consumption, whatever you want to call it, watching movies, uh, you know, it's more fractured than it was before. And especially when really, really good content just kind of gets dropped randomly on a platform that you may not know about. I think that this experience is becoming more and more and more common of finding something, really, really liking it, and just saying, oh, shit, I really wish that there was someone here to talk to this about. And for me, I can say that this often leads me to filing away movies just into some kind of notepad or folder or just whatever to just say, I need to watch this with so-and-so. And sometimes it's a particular person. Sometimes it's a larger group of people. I just need to share this because I understand after finishing it that is how it was meant to be experienced. But again, this is coming from a movie dork, someone who loves to watch movies together. And and Joe Bob, maybe you can even argue, you know, this is a guy who staked his career on communal movie watching. So it kind of makes sense that our stances are that. I mean, like, even at the end, it's kind of funny that at the end of the segment, Joe Bob asks us all to refer to him from now on as Joe Polyclitus the Younger Bob Briggs, because that was the uh, sculptor in ancient Greece who uh, created the uh, Epidaurus, which kind of acts as a running theme for Joe Bob's communal watching experience throughout this kind of segment. He even says that Walt Whitman probably would have called drive-ins secular temples of Americanism, which (laughs) I don't know if he's wrong, honestly. I think that that might be true. But for some people, you could say, well, you know, this is a lot of big talk. But nonetheless, I still want to be in my room watching Netflix. And that is that. This is all very, very nice and romantic sounding, but I am unconvinced. If this is the case, I ask you to stick with me because I'm about to get a little bit more heady here. Now, some of y'all know I am getting my master's degree in social work. Side effect of that is I am a little bit of a research dork at times, and I'm I'm really interested in how the brain works. So I, I did a little digging into this, and it turns out that there's actually a little bit more evidence than just big talk about why we should watch stuff together. Now, take for example, this is a good place to start. This is this one study that I found from 2014. It was a collaboration between five different universities in the United States. And the study showed pretty conclusive evidence of the fact that group attention actually intensifies emotion. Now, listen to this. I'm just going to read a a little bit of the abstract of this study right here. So here we examine the novel possibility that group attention, the experience of simultaneous co-attention with one's group members, increases emotional intensity relative to attending alone, co-attending with strangers, or attending non-simultaneously with one's group members. In study one, scary advertisements felt scarier under group attention. In study two, group attention intensified feelings of sadness to negative images and feelings of happiness to positive images. Study three, group attention during the video depicting homelessness led to greater sadness that prompted larger donations to charities benefiting the homeless. Think about that. In studies four and five, group attention increased the amount of cognitive resources allocated towards sad and amusing videos as indexed by the percentage of thoughts referencing video content, leading to more sadness and happiness, respectively. In all, These effects could not be explained by differences in physiological arousal, emotional contagion, or vicarious emotional experience. Greater fear, gloom, and glee can thus result from group attention to scary, sad, and happy events, respectively. Now, I'm going to link this study uh, in case anybody wants to do 
uh, some more research on the, uh, the details of this, but in, in a nutshell, uh, you know, just to kind of reiterate and make it a little bit more simple, uh, when a group of people are paying attention to one single stimuli, and we're all paying attention at the same time, the emotional response to that tends to be collectively more intense, regardless of what that emotion is. And so, you know, you watch something sad uh, in a group, you're more likely to be emotionally affected by it for it to be sad to you. Uh, But the example that I think makes the most sense here that I think is not listed in here is is laughter. And, you know, because I, I think that a lot of us understand kind of casually we have experienced that effect of watching something funny by yourself in your room and you know it's kind of like the meme you are breathing more heavily through your nose (laughs) instead of actually laughing but then you watch it with a group of people and you're cracking up and everybody's laughing super super loudly and if you've ever wondered why that is uh, it all is part of this same experience of the intensified emotion but I you know I want to elaborate on that just a little bit by saying that I like laughter as an example of illustrating this because it's not just emotion. It's not just this welling of emotion inside you. It is actually a form of communication, like really kind of primitive, like lizard brain, if you will, communication, the sound, the smiling face, every aspect of it before it was spoken language. This was a way of human beings signaling certain things to each other. And this is evolutionary biology. I mean, it really is. You know, human beings travel in groups for protection. And groups groups are safer than traveling as an individual, you know, back in the day. And so when one lone human responds to a stimuli, how do we protect the entire group, especially before we had language? You know, how do we have that warning system spread quickly so that we all know that there is danger or that it is okay? Well, facial expressions, emotions, all that stuff, that is how that came across. And that is why... That is why we feel things more strongly as a group, kind of in a nutshell. And that's why I chose laughter, because it's the easiest way to illustrate that, that safety, because these instincts have been transported, have been commuted into the way that we experience entertainment, simulated realities, stories in front of us. You know, as we experience these things together, it becomes this this wave that washes over all of us. I'm thinking of uh, Midsommar in this moment for those of you who have uh, seen Midsommar. It just kind of reminded me of that. But also, this is why if you're watching movies in your room alone, kind of for a while, if this is something that you do for for a while, and you find yourself getting tired or, or complaining about movies a lot more often than you used to or just not finding anything that used to wow you like it used to, I urge you to consider maybe this is one of the reasons why, because the intensified emotional experience of bonding with other people, just on that base level, you don't even have to talk to them. That's the incredible thing. But emotional uh, attachments and experiences are stronger with uh, friends and family and loved ones. Going to get to that a little bit later. But I urge you to try this if you're just feeling a little bit numb to the traditional push and pull of of, well, of horror. I mean, like, let's just think about it because I know so many people and I'm sure maybe this is you and or maybe you know someone like this, someone who says, I just, I cannot get scared by horror anymore. There is nothing that you could show me that you could put in front of me that is going to scare me, that is going to shock me or disgust me or whatever. This is, you know, I have seen everything. I know plenty of people like that. You know, I fell into that myself for a little while. But the, the fact is that when we are given the chance to experience and process fear, tension, communally, 
it's just such a different experience than just trying to kind of push our limits in our rooms alone. You know what I mean? Uh, the experience of watching Get Out in a movie theater, I'm not even talking about the scariest movie that ever existed, but Get Out. The reason that that was such an experience to watch in a theater is because it struck this cultural nerve that all of us got to experience simultaneously in a room together, in addition to just the soaring roller coaster plot and the mystery of it and just the reveal and the humor and just... It is so an experience meant to be experienced together, but I know so many people who watched it alone and they said, I just can't get the hype. I don't understand. What's the big deal? Well, I don't want to say you missed it, but I'm saying I think that you should try throwing on that movie and a few other movies in a room full of people. But I could hear some of my cynical listeners. (laughs) Hey, I love y'all for real. I mean, I, I, I join you a lot of the time. I can be very cynical sometimes saying, well, this is well and good, but don't you think that there could be another <laughs> explanation for this? And I want to take a moment to address that, that kind of like cynical explanation, because I thought of that as well while I was doing this research. For example, let's talk about a movie theater, right? Like just on a movie theater explanation, not getting together with your friends, just like let's go to the theater to watch it. What about that? You know, is it really this scientific lizard brain communication, or is it just the fact that We are sitting in a dark room with no distractions where I will be yelled at if I look at my phone and it's really bright and I'm scrolling through Twitter and so I'm paying more attention. Uh, Could it be a bigger screen? Could it just literally be the better quality of the image? Hopefully you would hope the better sound, you know, the boom of a jump scare if that's your thing. Uh, Or if you really, really want to get cynical with it, could we just say that this is a, a, a warped version of the mob mentality that we are all kind of grappling with right now, how we behave differently in groups than we do as individuals on a base level, just just in general. And entertainment experiencing is, is a version of that. It's not necessarily as sinister, but if we are all misinterpreting and feeling these huge, huge emotions, you know, maybe this is just another version of that thing of people wanting to feel together and just getting carried away, you know? Maybe we could say that. But I do have one example that I want to share here that I think, you know, will maybe have you questioning that some of those cynical views a little bit. It had me questioning it. Let me put it that way. And this, I'm going to talk about Shakespeare just, just very briefly. I'm going to talk about the Globe Theater. And I don't know how many of you are, you know, <laughs> want to think back to high school, think about what you know about uh, Shakespeare, the Globe Theater. But let me put it this way. All of Shakespeare's work from Hamlet to Romeo and Juliet to Titus Andronicus, all of it performed at the Globe Theater. And it was performed during the day. So that was when plays were performed. It was during the day. So so there was light so that people could see each other. And in the Globe Theater, yes, there were rows and rows, but also people stood together in crowds. Like, it was really kind of like, you know, general admission at, like, a, a show, <laughs> like a punk show. Uh, you could really just kind of stand next to it. Because it was a day, everybody could see each other. And it was this rowdy, rowdy affair seeing a play in Shakespeare's day. Everyone was laughing, you know, shouting at the stage, uh, taunting, yelling, you know, a lot of emotion. It was famously that way. But, you know, as time went on, that changed. Theaters were darkened as we know them now. They were isolated. There were the ceilings, you know, Globe Theater, no ceiling, right? And uh, then they rebuilt the Globe years and years and years later. I'm fast forwarding here. And they built it to be historically accurate. So for the first time in 400 years, People were actually seeing plays in the same environment that they were originally performed in, the way that they were meant to be performed. And guess what? 
the crowds seemed to kind of go back to that old mentality. They enjoyed the plays more. They were noisier. They stomped their feet. They cheered louder. They laughed louder. They had more fun. And I think that really says a lot about the experience of experiencing media together, of experiencing a performance together. It's just that instinct, whatever you want to call it, it runs deeper than just some cynical movie theater experience. It comes to really knowing who you're connecting with and really getting to see that everybody is feeling a certain way. That's why I will always, always, always prefer a rowdy movie theater. I mean, just to be completely honest with you, I prefer a loud and rowdy movie theater. We mentioned on earlier episodes, you know, when we watched Crawl came out last year, the Alexander Aja, uh, you know, crocodile or alligator horror movie. Um, the theater was full of young, kind of like high school age kids, and they were loving it. They were yelling. They were shouting. There were some side conversations going on. It honestly seemed like the way that I would want to see that movie. It was so much more fun. Like every single bit of it, every time that water would come flooding in down the staircase, and every time there would be a subtle shot of a gator going by, man, it was awesome. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder, if it wasn't for that rowdy theater, you know, would my experience have been dulled a little bit? You know, would I would I have seen all the stuff that I loved about that movie in the way that it got the audience to react? Like, that, what I said at the time, it worked. Like, that was the thing. Is that every scare that was supposed to be a scare, it got a reaction out of people, and so it got a reaction out of me. That made it way more fun. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy these kinds of movies solo, but don't you feel a little bit silly after watching something like Tammy and the T-Rex or Chopping Mall or just, like, any of those B-movie cheesy classics by yourself? I mean, like, it's meant to be in a crowd in a drive through where people are laughing and just turning to each other and saying, just, what the fuck? Like, what am I watching? This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's designed to get that reaction out of people. That's what they had. They didn't have a budget. They had the ability to get a ridiculous reaction out of people. And that is what is so effective about those films all these years later and why that communal watching experience among this community of people who enjoy films like that, I think remains so strong because it is understood on a base level that that is the intention of this, that that just makes it so, so much more enjoyable overall. But if you're not convinced, I, I, I got another tidbit of information to throw your way about watching movies together. And uh, this one really, really fascinated me. It, it's about the idea of watching movies as a couple, watching movies if you are in a relationship. This one study I found revolved around the idea of cinema therapy. This is just, this is just one study, but I, I want to read what the findings from this study were. Listen to this. Discussing five movies about relationships over a month could cut the three-year divorce rate for newlyweds in half, researchers report. The study involving 174 couples is the first long-term investigation to compare different types of early marriage intervention programs. The findings show that an inexpensive, fun, and relatively simple movie and talk approach can be just as effective as other more intensive therapist-led methods, reducing the divorce or separation rate from 24 to 11% after three years. Now, I'm going to stop right here and say that, yes, I am presenting you with this information, even though I am becoming a social worker. <laughs> I, I'm literally going to enter the field of mental health. I am going to become a therapist. And I am telling you right now that you may not need me. In fact, you, you could just stay home and talk about movies with your partner. And 
you will have some of the same success. Now, obviously, it's a, a little bit more nuanced than that, but how about we read a little bit more about the details of this? Because I find this pretty interesting, don't you? So the results suggest that couples have a pretty good sense of what they might be doing right and wrong in their relationships. And therefore, you might not need to teach them a whole lot of skills to cut the divorce rate. You might just need to get them to think about how they're currently behaving. And the fact is that movies are an incredible way for couples to do this. It's an incredible way for all of us to do this because it's such an accessible way for us to observe and explore roles and situations that, you know, we may not encounter in our everyday lives. It gives us a chance to kind of talk about morality and, you know, complex situations with our partners and friends and loved ones in this safe environment because it's about a movie, you know? It's, it's, it is our feelings, of course, but it is about the topic of this movie. And maybe we can kind of debate and explore this in the context to the characters in the film maybe a bit more easily than we can for ourselves. And maybe in doing that, we will realize our behaviors, you know? And, and it really is that simple as being aware of our behaviors is such a crucial first step to changing it, you know? The foundation of CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Uh, yeah, social work. Uh, but <laughs> I want to slip this in too because... Some people think that specifically, yeah, like we were saying, relationship movies, right? You know, that makes a lot of sense. You explore, like, you're watching this romantic comedy or whatever. It's, why are they fighting? Pause the movie. You know, do you agree or disagree? But some research also thinks that watching horror movies specifically <laughs> can be good for a relationship. I like this study, even though it's a little bit uh, sillier. <laughs> I wanted to share it because I thought it was kind of fun. So when we're scared... This article argues that it's essentially the same chemical reaction in your body as when you are infatuated with someone. This rush of, you know, dopamine, serotonin, all that stuff, the heart racing, you know. And when you increase that arousal level in yourself, perhaps you're more likely to be passionate in general with, with anything, to, to be more intimate. And we, we always think about these kind of old examples that I think of, of, you know, a couple watching horror movies together, someone gets scared, I'm just going to say me, <laughs> and you cuddle up to your partner for some protection. And, you know, there is science behind that, actually. It really does make sense, that heightened arousal level. It's all about the connection, the experiencing of it together. That's how we explore dynamics, folks, is we feel things in environments together. And yeah, it's super scary to feel stuff sometimes. It's vulnerable. It's intimate. But that's why movies are great, because it's safe, because it's a roller coaster ride, because it's this thing that we have that level of distance from. And I find that to be an extremely important part of the equation. Despite how intense our emotions may be on this, there is this level of distance that allows us to walk away. Hence that safety, you know? And let me add a little cherry on top at the end here as we uh, kind of start to wind down and wrap up. And it's the fact that I think an, a bonus to this of experiencing film together is that it creates a memory between you and another person. And that's, that's not insignificant. Because here's the thing, sight and sound, they're actually not the most potent senses that are tied to memory. You know, I bet a lot of people know this, but it's actually, it's smell, it's the olfactory sense. So that, that is so closely linked to memory and emotion sight and sound, we're actually so prone to forgetting these type of things, which is why, you know, strict like lecture type teaching, for example, is not the best way to learn. So you may watch a movie, and I'm sure this has happened many times, you watch a movie, and it kind of washes over you. And afterwards, you just 
you forget. You forget like a lot of stuff that even happened in it. And maybe it's sometimes strange the parts of a movie that stick with you after the fact, the parts that linger in your memory, a specific shot, specific line, specific sound, or, you know, just a a song at a certain point, you know, whatever it is, sometimes we can't really explain that. But the more kind of we add to the equation, that experience, the more likely we are to remember it. Because even if you don't necessarily remember the film itself, you go with someone else and you get a slice of pizza afterwards I'm going to tell you, you are way, way, way more likely to remember that night. All those senses involved, yeah, but it also adds that relationship between place and person and memory, which is very key. And so when we do this, when we experience, you know, a film, you know, uh, with with someone who is close to us, with another person in our lives, it triangulates us with this person at this point in time in our memory. And we are more likely to have that bond linger forward where even if, you know, I don't necessarily remember everything that happened in it or just whatever, I know that I saw whatever it was, Suicide Squad with you (laughs) in 2016, and we left the theater, and we laughed, and we laughed, and we laughed, and here we are still friends today, and what a ridiculous thing, and that's, you know, that is important, you know, as you grow, and as time moves on, I think having those connections over time, it not only makes the movies matter more to us, but it gives us this ever-growing volume of shared experiences, which become more and more and more valuable over time. And as we as we get older, you know, in in my humble opinion and to tie this all back around to horror, I wonder if you all can remember or just think of a movie like Joe Bob said in the beginning where you finished it by yourself and you thought, wow, I I really wish I had watched this with another person because I can think of those movies. And thank goodness, because of Spook Squad and because of our tendency to get together and watch movies in a group i have thankfully gotten to watch most of them with other people and i can tell you firsthand it was much 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 better let me give you one of my favorite examples and i think that this is just a great example in general for watching movies with another person especially if they know nothing about it and if they haven't seen it for those who know from dusk till dawn right okay robert rodriguez quentin tarantino Famously, a collaborative movie project. There, It starts off as one thing. I almost don't want to spoil it. It starts off as one thing and it ends as another thing. You know, halfway through, there is a turn. A unbelievably significant and dramatic turn that completely changes the genre of the movie in this incredible, incredible way. And if you haven't seen it coming, if you've never seen it before, it is an absolute insane delight to witness (laughs) and getting to experience that with Allie now I saw it the first time by myself and I liked it I remember saying I liked it this was crazy this was weird watching it with Allie at some time down the road was a complete joy when the turning point came when Tom Savini came on screen it was just an absolute delight to see the incredulous look upon her face and anyone you will share this movie with who doesn't know it i encourage you it really is an incredible thing and the complete opposite end of the spectrum i watched a serbian film (laughs) with some close friends who had heard about it for a long time and yes you can watch serbian film by yourself in your room and many of us i bet that that is the way 
you'd prefer to do it because you want it to just be this thing that you don't have to tell other people that you're watching it because you feel kind of weird for doing it. But man, the experience of sharing that film in a room with people who are all prepared, basically, but not prepared at all, but at least mentally prepped to know some really rough shit is about to happen. Uh, to share that all together and then be able to discuss it afterwards. Like I, I cannot think of another way after the fact that I would prefer to experience that film. It just doesn't exist. It is, it is an experience. <laughs> it is a bonding experience as a group. And, and to wrap it all up here, you know, the reason I bring up these movies, the reason I, I talk about this in a horror podcast is because, and this is where a little bit of bias comes in, but uh, you know, if you're coming to listen to a horror podcast, maybe you're okay with that. Um, in my opinion, the genre that leads to consistently the most enjoyable, the most rewarding group watching experiences, it, it, it truly is hard because it displays so much of what is incredible about communal cinema watching from the moments of humor to moments of excess and absurdity that are, let's face it, designed to get some kind of reaction from disgusting, gross-out moments to truly shocking twists. I mean, and then we talk about effects, you know, like visually. Sometimes horror is just presenting you with something that is boundary-pushing, is unusual, is something that you have not been seen before. Or, if it's not a visual, it's a scenario. You know, so much of horror is the unthinkable happening and playing out in this truly horrifying way. To be able to experience these scenarios in a group and process that fear is powerful, but I also think that it's just more consistently going to lead you to a good and enjoyable bonding experience and a good time. I mean, yes, of course you could do this with a comedy. Of course you could do it with a drama. But I just think in terms of getting consistent reactions where it's like good, bad, whatever. Wow. Yeah, we watched that together. Wow. That's horror. <laughs> And I think that that is one of the things that I really, really love the most about it is that good, bad, disturbing, all in between, it really does help bring us together. It gives us something to talk about. It always keeps us coming back. And dear Spook Squad listeners, that is exactly why I am so excited to continue this podcast and to continue talking about the genre with you week after week after week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the podcast. So excited to get started with season two. Sorry this one got posted uh, a little bit late today, but I cannot wait to continue doing this moving forward. Uh, please like us on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Please tell people the show is back. We are so excited to do this. And uh, if you got any questions or comments, as always, email us at spooksquadpod at gmail.com. So from me to you, this is Dan signing out.